Welcome to episode 257 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode, we review the Rugby League World Cup finals. We discuss the success of the Rugby League World Cup and much, much more. Join us as we build a Rugby League community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. All right, welcome to episode 257 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, the Rugby League World Cup has concluded. It was an epic World Cup. How Are you still are you still on a high from, from uh, all of the success stories in the Rugby League World Cup? Oh, yeah, look, Dr. T, we, we waited long uh, for this Rugby League World Cup. In fact, we we even waited a, one whole extra year, right? You know, and um, but finally, the 2021 <laughs> Rugby League World Cup is over. And I've got to say, look, you know, um, you know, love it or hate it, there's some very interesting things. Um, is there a new world order of Rugby League? Have we have we seen that occur right now? I'm not 100 sure on that, but I've got to say some really good. Uh, you know, as they I think they sort of uh, advertised it as the most inclusive rugby league World Cup of all time, and I think if you're going to base it on that, I think I think it, that has been a success. And now we've got nothing but the NRL left NRL 2023 left to talk about next year, right? So, yeah, looking forward to it. But how about yourself, Dr. T? Are you still on high about the Rugby League World Cup? Oh, look, uh, absolutely. There's there's just been so many stories to talk about. Uh, mm. It's it's just been, you know, I would say the best World Cup ever that we've had. That doesn't mean that it's uh, there's not much more that can be improved. There's heaps that can be improved, but I think there's, there's so many good things to come out of it uh, and, and such a... Such a, a great kind of uh, opportunity for the future. So without any further ado, we're going to, uh, in this, I guess it's a penultimate episode of this year because uh, I think next year we'll do, next week we'll do the, uh, uh, the, the, the final awards, episode, the yes. our awards, our traditional awards. Yes. So looking forward to that. But we've, we've got a lot to get through today. We're going to review uh, the wheelchair, the women's and the men's finals because there's a lot to talk about. And then we're going to have a look back and see, you know, how successful was the the World Cup and where does the future hold? So there's a lot, a lot to to do. Uh, let's uh, let's launch into the first tackle, shall we? All right, so tackle number one uh, is the wheelchair rugby league World Cup final between the two favourites, I guess, England and France. Um, and uh, and look, th- this was uh, brutal, epic, just like we we talked about with the other games. It mm. ended up being England winning this one. They brought it home, twenty eight to twenty four against France. 
who were, I believe, the defending champions. Now, if you if you've watched these games before, you would know that uh, these tend to get <laughs> blow out quite easily uh, mm. because of the kind of condensed nature of the court and uh, and just the dominance of some teams over others. You know, we were getting you know France and England both in, both of them scoring like over a hundred points. Um, you know, tries I think are, are worth the same and 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 all that. So if you look at that, it's you know you what would what would we have expected in this one? Well, you couldn't have got it more closer. Twenty eight to twenty four, less than a converted try in it. It was fourteen twelve at halftime in favour of France, and uh, and look England really with a a last. Uh, you know, with a few minutes to go, the 77th minute, Tom Halliwell scored a try and uh, and won it for them, uh, winning the World Cup, not for the first time, I think they've won it before, but uh, definitely one of the dominant teams in this tournament and well-deserved England. Uh, but yeah, Tish, I don't know if you caught this one, if you have anything to say, but uh, look, I've got to say, we've... Uh, it's been such a great tournament. It's an eye-opener for me because I think it's not something that I really got very exposed to. Um, I know there's been a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, there's, there's a mythology around this kind of, uh, this kind of sport, uh, wheelchair rugby as well. You know, there's a mythology around it, how brutal it is, how tough it is. But seeing both of these two teams uh, clash in the final game, I think uh, was was well worth it, and and what a superb game! But England, congratulations, uh, Tish. What were your comments on on this game? Yeah, well, look, I think um, yeah, look, I think it's great. Like as you said, England. It's been a long time since they've uh, they've they've been able to um, you know defeat uh, to to win this cup. I think it's a fourteen year drought actually for them, and uh, yeah, a last minute win. Um, you know, by a try by their 23-year-old skipper, Tom Halliwell, I think is absolutely amazing. And, and look, I, I heard Andrew Voss uh, make this comment about um, the sport, saying, you know what, like, you know, this th- this shouldn't be a sport that's categorised as a, you know, paraplegic sport or anything like that because able-bodied athletes can play this sport as well. You're a proper athlete if you play wheelchair rugby league and it's a proper game and it's um, there's nothing else quite like it. And, and I think it's a very unique um, sort of, sort of, uh, you know, sort of sport. Um, you know, the other comment he made is that the actual, you know, there was a crowd of around about 5,000 there. The stadium was rocking. It was a really good atmosphere. So I think it's a really great spectator sport as well. Um, looks great on TV and I think it looks great live as well. So, you know, hopefully this uh, World Cup uh, and this game can be a, um, you know, can be a springboard to the next level of recognition for this sport. And um, who knows, you know, maybe uh, a professional tournament, some clubs, something like that for the future to actually develop um, this sport might not be um, the worst idea in the world, right? So well done to England. And, yeah, England versus France, I think in any sport, you know, this rivalry goes back to the Middle Ages, right? Like, you know, we're, <laughs> we're talking we're talking a long time here. So I think in any sport of this – and to see uh, a game that – you know, he's decided right at the end. Absolutely a great way to kick off a great day of, you know, World Cup finals. Absolutely. And completely agree with you. I think there's a there's an opportunity here for us uh, as, as a rugby league family, shall I say, with different 
different kind of games within it, including wheelchair rugby, rugby league, and then and other sort of forms of rugby league as well, to kind of consider. You know, this is a this was a time for one sibling to shine, the wheelchair uh, rugby league game, and and the opportunities are there to build on it. And and I think, um, yeah, it, I think very clear. I know we're going to talk about it later, but very clearly, the wheelchair tournament has been one of the real success stories. I think of this entire kind of uh, you know World Cup uh, suite of uh, of games uh, and and tournaments, uh, combined tournaments. So yeah, absolutely. Um, if you look at, uh, you know, we, we always talk about the stats, especially in in these big games. And and if you look at the game, the stats for this game, it's pretty clear that England, uh, you know, dominated in so many of the key uh, kind of factors. Time in possession, they had the ball more for for longer. Um, you know, a whole bunch of things. Tackle breaks is the main one here. Um, it's the difficult one, and uh, they got forty-three mm. versus twenty-nine. So when you put all put all those things together, their speed, their offloads, total passes—they were kind of dominant. So they kind of deserved to win, whichever way you look at it. Even though they they kind of left it to the last kind of couple of minutes to get um, to get ahead on the scoreboard and and, and uh, consolidate uh, that 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 lead. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I, I would agree. I think that it's time for rugby league to step up and take advantage uh, of uh, of the success that we've seen of this particular sport and dominate. You know, find a way to uh, improve and evolve the game and and get more um, more exposure. Um, I wonder if we could. Yeah, like I agree. A, a tournament. Or we'll talk about it later. But you know, definitely next step is. Uh, uh, more exposure, uh, more tournaments, more games being played between these countries. Uh, it's the only way. And then, to be honest, that's the answer for the, the main the main game that we're going to talk about as well, the men's game, which we follow, um, you know, more closely. Uh, definitely, that's where the future lies. All right, so that is the wheelchair uh, rugby league World Cup uh, tournament, which was, uh, again, won by England in the final, 28 to 24, over traditional rivals France, um, and now let's move on to the second tackle, uh, the women's. All right, the women's. The women's game, the women's final, was actually held as a uh, a precursor or the pre-game to the men's final. So we had a double header at Old Trafford, Manchester. Um, it was uh, a dominant performance by the Australian Gillaroos over the New Zealand Silver Ferns. It was ten tries to one, wow. which was uh, absolutely outstanding. Uh, and uh, you know, like they set the scene in the first half, twenty nil. At halftime, we had, uh, you know, look, there was <laughs> the story of this game is that from the very beginning, Australia dominated. Um, you know, they, they just had too much firepower all across the park. You know, the big names that you're expecting to hear from that we've heard all throughout the year and that have become more and more household names in the past few years all played a big starring role in in this uh in this win for Australia. We had tries to Jessica Sergis, 
uh, or Sergis, Isabel Kelly, Julie Robinson. Uh, Kelly actually scored two tries. Sergis scored two. Emma Tonegato scored. Kerry Channington scored. Taryn Aiken and Ivania Polite or Polite. Um, and and really, uh, but the the well, I was about to say man of the match, player of the match, best mm. on field. MVP was Ali Brigginshaw. Uh, you know, I believe she was also the MVP for the last World Cup final that Australia won. So I think this makes it three in a row that Australia, the Jillaroos have won. So mm. well done. Um, you know, very well done. And and look, it, it was a completely dominant performance. And the stats sort of tell that story as well. They had they had a lot more possession than New Zealand. They were, uh, although ironically, their completion rate was a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, run meters, you know, more than double New yep. Zealand. Uh, just in terms of the key stats, line breaks eleven to two. Like whichever way you look at it, tackle breaks fifty nine to eighteen. Wow, I mean that is just unbelievable. Their their average set distance, you know, when they had a full set, sixty five meters to thirty eight. Like, really massive difference in terms of, like, a really, really dominant performance. To be honest, more than probably I would have expected from, I would have expected a little bit more from New Zealand. But I think, look, the fact that all those names that I read out were, uh, you know, we, we've all heard them through the year. We know some of these players. They've become much more of, of household names than they used to be this time last year. So, you know, the, the women's game is growing, just as we've been talking about with the wheelchair game. Um, but it's starting from a different place, I think, uh, compared to the wheelchair game. It's already had a few years under its belt, and and I think this time, really, really, we've dominated. Uh, Australia has dominated and uh, is on top of the world for a reason. I think the NRL women's game has been the pioneer uh, taking the game women's game forward, and and it certainly shows in uh, in the way that these star players came together and really gelled as a unit and i have to do a bit of a shout out to kennedy cherrington who scored two tries in three minutes and both were really solid uh kind of tries you know that that really came from uh you know from grit and guts and and at that late in the game 66th minute 69th minute for uh for someone who you know gave her all uh, scored those two gutsy, two gutsy tries, and and then you should have seen. I think the the reason why I wanted to shout her out was uh, the 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 joy in her celebration when she scored both of those tries, um, just full on smile from ear to ear, and and really showing you that you know these girls, yes, they're professional, yes, they uh, they they kind of they they're a class above their opposition, but they're still passionate about the game. They still have a bit of a smile when they score um, and, and they're not, uh, it's, it's kind of good to see some of that raw emotion, but anyway, that was my view of, of the game. I, it was great to see that raw emotion. And of course, Ali Brigginshaw, congratulations, MVP yet again, two world cup finals in a row. Um, you know, fair to say she's probably one of the most dominant players mm. uh, in the world at the moment um, when it matters uh, Ali brings it. So, well done. And, uh, yeah, what was your view of this game, Tish? Well, look, you know, Dr. T, I think, um, look, you brought up some great points. Ali Brigginshaw, firstly, yeah, probably 
she'll go down as one of the greats of women's rugby league of all time, probably, you know, with her two World Cup wins or maybe three, actually. I'm not 100% sure. But like, you know, as you said, Australia so dominant, a bit like the men's game, right? A little bit where Australia had been so dominant. But look, even the second place, second ranked team in the world, New Zealand, um, no match. I mean, 50-point difference. And as you said, the the stats just absolutely dominate Um dominate this game and you know look sort of you know watching the game and thinking about it and I think I've put two and two together I think what's what's actually happened is that there's been a bit of a been a bit of a mistake in the Kiwi Kiwi uh dressing room unfortunately it's the women's touch team that actually took the field and um <laughs> which explains the the uh you know the the uh a high number of ineffective tackles I think they were just uh, thinking that they all they need to do is is play tip, and um, but look, that's you know, or just touch the play, but it just didn't happen. Um, but look, yeah, even even something like a post contact meters is just absolutely uh, tremendous. So I suppose this is where the you know NRLW and going back to the wheelchair argument, like you know, the NRLW now is in Australia. I'm not too sure if in if in England today have a professional competition or a competition that sort of you know, is sort of the ultimate player sort of doing it. I'm not too sure what type of development they have in New Zealand as well, but I think these three nations to begin with probably need to sit down and think about it. And look, uh, um, with the number of teams that were in this tournament, that's that's probably another thing I've, I, I've noticed a little bit because I've actually seen quite a number of really good, um, you know, Pacific Island sort of players and I'm just wondering if they should actually just begin with getting the Pacific Island, um, yeah, Islander, you know, countries already involved. I think that that would actually spread it out a little bit more as well, um, which might lead to closer games because there's probably a few, um, you know, Australia and Kiwi, um, you know, women who who might choose to play for Samoa, Tonga, and Fiji as opposed to playing for Australia, and that might just create a better competition. I still think Australia is going to be dominant, but I, but I think they might need to do something similar just to try and, you know, spread the talent around so that the competition itself can be a lot more exciting and closer. Yeah, absolutely. And look, again, we're going to talk later about the future of, of this sport and definitely even though one team dominated, uh, it's not always what you want to see. You want to see close games, but Sometimes a dominating team can actually push a sport forward just as much as close competition between nations. So I think, uh, you know, it's a burgeoning sport at the beginning phase, I think, of its growth. Uh, and already we've seen so many positives out of uh, out of this sport. But well done to Australia. The Jillaroos winning that one uh, 54-4 against New Zealand. And now we move to the men's game. Tackle number three, here we go. The men's game, the men's World Cup, Rugby League World Cup final was played uh, after the women's final at Old Trafford, Manchester. It ended up being the Australia Kangaroos over Samoa, 30 points to 10. Uh, At the end of the day, it was, uh, I think it's fair to say, on the scoreboard, a dominant performance, Uh, six tries to two, tries to Latrell Mitchell, 
uh, who scored in the 13th and 80th minute. Tries to James Tedesco, who scored in the 17th and 68th minute. Uh, and also to Liam Martin and Cameron Murray. And for Samoa, Brian Toll and Stephen Crichton scored two very good tries in the 60th and 70th minute, respectively. It was 14-0 at halftime in favour of Australia. Uh, and therefore, the second half ended up being 16 points to 10. So Samoa really, um, you know, with their two tries in the second half, uh, closed the gap a little bit, but not not that much uh, at the end of the day. It still ended up being a 20-point victory. And and I guess I guess it's fair to say when you look at uh, the stats, uh, you know, Australia did dominate in many of the stats. We'll go go to that in a minute, but you know, overall impressions. I felt watching the game uh, that that the scoreboard. This might be a bit of a controversial position, so I put this to you, Teach. What do you think? I actually felt that the scoreboard flattered Australia a little bit, uh, and, and and by that I mean. Uh, you know, I, I think the game felt like it was closer than 30 points to 10. Um, it wasn't like as if Australia, that you know, all the kangaroos performed, you know, extremely well. I think Samoa, you know, it was very close and tight in defence. I think at the end of the day, what happened was there were some crucial errors made by some players in, in Samoa, some senior players actually in, in the Samoan team. Uh, who, who to be honest, uh, well, let, let's name one of them. Anthony Milford, I thought, was a bit of a liability in defence. Uh, there was at least one or two tries where he was a direct result. The direct result of his defensive uh, laps led to Australia tries, uh, the Australian Kangaroos scoring tries. Um, and so, but I'm not going to single him out because I think, uh, you know, I think Crichton at one point also made a defensive error. Um, but, but look, it felt like it was a little bit closer. It felt like a like an old old style Origin game that was really close and tight in defence. But the difference between these two teams, I think, boils down to two things. It's it's the fitness level of the Kangaroos is absolutely out of this world. Uh, much more. I mean, the difference even between Australia and New Zealand in the semi final, I thought, was uh, was primarily. Australia's fitness levels, which allowed them to just be a bit more clear-headed when it counted. And the other bit of difference is they're a class above Samoa in terms of clutch plays. And, you know, when it counted, their star players made the clutch plays and made it happen, uh, despite the fact that they may have been, uh, you know, not as dominant as they would have liked in attack. When it mattered, uh, they put a, a few quick plays on and boom, you know, Tedesco through the gap, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And M- Mitchell as well in that final one, a very similar kind of uh, quick inside balls to a diagonal runner. Uh, when you have someone with the speed of Tedesco or, or Latrell Mitchell, it's uh, yeah. it's nighty-night. <laughs> There's no way anyone will catch them. Um, you know, the one odd thing that with this final is that uh, Josh Adokar didn't score a try, <laughs> you know. Yeah. That was unbelievable and still was the top try scorer in the tournament. So, yeah. um, look, my, my overall view is, and I'll, I'll pass to you now, Tish, Kangaroos are definitely top of the heap at the moment. Uh, I think Samoa, like I said, I don't think a 20-point victory was necessarily reflective of 
how close it felt in the game. But at the end of the day, it all boils down to simple mistakes. And even a simple mistake can uh, automatically mean you're six points down. Uh, and, and that's kind of what ended up happening on a few occasions. So even though it felt close, the crucial lapses in defence uh, I just you, you just can't afford to do that against a team like the Kangaroos if you are a team like Samoa. Uh, but yeah, well done to Samoa. Uh, like I think they could hold their heads up high that even though the score scoreline didn't look too flattering for them, I felt that they really gave a hundred percent on the field. They tried their best. They were just outclassed by a fitter and uh, and and more battle hardened team and i think that's what it boils down to uh and and remember that comment because i'm that's going to reflect later my views about what where we go to next in building the international game but i think well done to australia kangaroos they've won it's now three in a row since that new zealand victory they've won three world cups in a row continue to dominate the landscape in rugby league it can be a bad thing in terms of its growth but but look samoa i mean they made it to the final they gave their all. They just weren't good enough uh, against Australia. But if you just look at their second half, um, 16 points to 10 against a fitter Australia Kangaroos lineup, I think was uh, I think they finished on a high in terms of the the way that they ended the game. Uh, and and so well done to Samoa. But yeah, over to you, Tish, to give your kind of highlights or your overview of what you thought about the men's rugby league World Cup final. Well, yeah. Look, firstly, uh, it was a great, it was a great atmosphere. I've got to say, um, at the at the ground, watching it live, um, you know, early hours, um, seeing see, seeing like you know just just the passion in the crowd. Um, I think the commentator did mention that it seemed like um, everybody was uh, adopting Samoa as their nation, right? So. Um, you know, you had some, <laughs> you had some, uh, you know, had some people that look look like battle-hearted rugby league fans supporting um, supporting Samoa, and Australia did have their support too. Um, but yeah, and look, I think I think before the game, I'd say that the, um, you know, the I believe it's called the Civitao, I might be uh, corrected, but the Samoan war dance I think was every bit as passionate and aggressive, and you know, chills down his spine type thing that a, that a New Zealand Harker was, you know. Um, I think it really set the stage of this is this is a big moment for Samoa to be able to make it here, right? And, uh, you know, like, you know, regardless of what the score is going to be and, um, you know, and, and, and that's what it was. You know, as the game wore on, I mean, uh, I think, you know, the o- overall summation I'd say is that, you know, Australia were just really better at capitalising the chances but I don't think they got as many chances against uh, Samoa as what people would think, because I think Samoa probably didn't uh, capitalize on their chances as much as what Australia did, right? And ultimately, that was it, right? So, um, you know, starting off, yeah, uh, you know, in the game sort of thing. I remember the, you know, the first try coming from, um, you know, coming. I think it was Latrell Mitchell, and it was a, you know, it was like a, it was like an opportunistic try that came just shortly after. A bit of a set restart from you know from Samoa and the, and a, you know they sort of you know they, they had to uh, do you know a dropout and then it sort of uh, felt, flowed from there um, and then look not too long after you know James Tedesco scored after a Josh Adokar break and I think this re- kind of really hurt Samoa right there right you know sort of scoring two tries within sort of five minutes of each other 
you know, then all of a sudden the heads go down and everything like this. But I thought they did well to sort of keep in the game until because there was a, there was another try scored a little a little later on. But you know, they kept it to fourteen nil at halftime, right? Um, they did get some chances in the first half as well, but you know, as I said, they just weren't able. I mean, uh, you know, hands down to Australia. I think Australia had really great scrambling, scrambling defense, and you know, they, you know, Samoa were were you know they were able to to get to the to sort of ninety ninety five meters, <laughs> you know, ninety eight meters down the line, but just you know would always sort of you know the Australian goal line defense. You know, within their within their uh, within their ten was 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 really good, and and I think also a bit of game management, as you said, could have helped. You know, trying to stack on set after set. I don't know if Samoa were able to be were able to do that sort of purposefully. They might have got it through, you know, infringements and penalties, but but actually doing it on purpose. I don't think they were able to to get that done. I also felt that you know Samoa felt like they were. You know, it felt like they were trying to uh, pass it out a bit more wider, if I could say that. Like, you know, they were kind of spreading the ball a bit more than Australia and not really trying to win the forward battle. And I believe that that is a bit of a mistake because I think I think they had the typical... Like, every time I saw Josh uh, Papalili grab the ball, you know, there'd be five people hanging off him and he'd be making 10 metres. And then they'd spread the ball wide and they'd spread it wide, but they wouldn't go all the way. Like you wouldn't see it go to the winger that often. It'd sort of stop at the centers and, and it just became a bit like that for a while where I think Australia sort of, you know, went through the front door type type sort of scenario. Um, they got their speed players and their creative players to be able to get behind the Samoan, you know, forward pack. And then, you know, some individual brilliance, you know, at times by Adekar, at times by Tedesco, who I thought had an outstanding game. I think even Cameron Munster, you know, he did have some moments in the game where he was doing monstrous things. So I think all that stuff, and I think what you're talking about being a bit more polished at this level because you've had experience playing these type of games, I think that really came to the forefront. What I would say is that early on in the second half, there was an incident where Angus Crichton, um, you know, had, had taken out uh, Harris Tavita, uh, Chanel Harris Tavita, with a pretty pretty sick uh, blow to the head, um, which caused him. I mean, uh, well, I mean that's his career now, right? Because I think Chanel uh, Tavita is, is has retired after this game, right? So it was a HIH incident. It was. I don't think Angus sort of meant it, so I don't think it was intentional. Um, but you know. I don't know. I think it, it looks so bad. I felt like they would send him off. In fact, they only gave him ten minutes, and I think Australia were able to score in that in that in that time as well. So I think that ten minute period really really hurt the game. But it's interesting, you know, those second half tries by Samoa. Um, you know, you kind of felt that they still were in with a chance, right? A little bit. Like I, I, I kind of felt that after the Toro try. After the Crichton tie, I think the deficit, they brought it back to 14. They might have even got it back to 12 or perhaps even 10, actually, I'm, I'm thinking now. And then a couple of late tries by Australia were able to seal off the game type thing. So, you know, th- th- there were moments where you kind of felt that, hey, they could st- stage a bit of a comeback. But what they were missing is they, you know, they got they got rid of their dummy. Well, their dummy half was taken out of the game. And then so Milford had to move into dummy half. So it meant that the you know their sort of attack focused on Jerome Luai, which which 
you know, I think at a club level is great, but at the international level, the problem is what else can you do, right? You know, you don't have any other playmaker there that could really help you. So a little bit about that. Um, I'm actually not too sure about the balance of Samoa too. Um, I, I think they should have had Swahalili as a centre and not a fullback because he doesn't really play fullback, right? And have um, Crichton because I think they were missing that extra yardage or the extra creativity um, sort of starting off their sets. Um, mm. But I thought of Stephen Crichton, who's played fullback for the for the winning team, the Panthers, would have done better. And then I think Swalili would have been a lot more dangerous, not having to do all that extra work in the you know, you know, as a fullback and you know, capitalising on opportunities as a centre. I think that was a logical move. So I think there was just a few things like that. So yeah, but there you go. But look, I think look, a great World Cup final. I mean, do, look, like okay, so. A few uh, a few World Cups ago, I don't know if it was the last World Cup or the Cup before, but the final score was 6-0 Australia versus England, right? Well, that was the and, last World Cup. Yeah. Oh, that was the last World Cup, right? I much, I, I enjoyed this spectacle more than I enjoyed that spectacle, put it that way. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I like, agree. Because you, yeah. you see the tries, you see the class. Um, there was some really good, uh, there was a really good try. Um, that The second try that Tedesco scored was awesome, right? So I think, yeah. I think from that point of view, the entertainment level, I, I, I think that, yeah, it was there. But it just didn't didn't deliver that close nail-biting game. Um, but look, Samoa, they did well to get to the final, and I think they're going to do well um, in the next World Cup too. Yeah, absolutely. And look, let, let me just sort of uh, go back to my comment about, you know, I felt that the score of 30 to 10 didn't really mm. reflect how close this game was in the sense that, you know, I probably would have been happier if it was like eighteen ten, something like that, because mm. it makes it feel like they were within, you know, shooting distance. Like at fourteen yeah. nil down at half time, they they still had a shot. They yes, they yeah. didn't score a point, but I felt like Australia, you know, the tries that they scored, uh, I mean, they weren't quite opportunistic. They were good tries, but you know, like they had Samoa had a try disallowed. Uh, the Liam mm. Martin try was borderline yeah. try as well. If I remember correctly, yeah. there was a question mark about whether his the ball in ex, in moving from his left to or his right to left hand. You know whether he lost possession. In my mind, he did. <laughs> so I actually felt that that shouldn't have been given a try, but it was. Uh, if you look at it again, it just you you can sort of see that he loses control over it. But because they decided, well, technically, his left hand pushed the ball down, and that's a try. You know, it's a touchdown kind of thing. Fair enough. Um, but I I still think that that is a borderline decision that could have gone either way. The Latrell Mitchell first try was basically barnstorming Latrell Mitchell at his best, uh, mm. and a very simple backline move that had him going up against Swali'i, who who did actually uh, try and tackle him ball and all. But, you know, Latrell Mitchell one-on-one in that situation, he just shrugged him off, pushed him off, and then just sort of launched himself and scored a try. Um, and so in my mind, like those two tries, had you had, uh, uh, you know, a bit better defence, had you, had you had, you know, a game of inches there with a Liam Martin one, it could have easily have been, you know, like 6-0 at halftime, 
or 10 nil or something like that rather than 14 nil and then and then when you look at it that way it, it is about well that's a lot closer than you think the issue about angus Crichton, i think uh, that's another sort of observational controversy that came out of the game um he has since been suspended but i think the latest news i have today is that his suspension has been halved so again, I have no idea why they make these decisions, how they make the decisions, but <laughs> yeah. But for whatever reason, the uh, soon after the game, it was it was indicated that uh, he would be suspended and miss a couple of games in for the Roosters early next year, um, and uh, that may or may not be the case. I, I think his if his suspension has been halved, then that probably means that he'll just miss one one or two games. I think. Um, but when I saw the the incident again, it wasn't a malicious incident. It was an, a dead ball incident. The referee had called knock on mm. uh, for whatever reason. Maybe Chanel Harris Tavita was uh, thinking, "I've got a uh, you know, I don't know why he. It looked like he probably didn't hear the call that it was a dead ball." Mm. Um, and Crichton was trying to shrug him away, and in doing so, stuck his elbow out and got. Uh, Chanel clearing the temple, which is the worst place that you can get hit <laughs> with an elbow, because mm. uh, it it you know and certainly he got knocked out and he was dozed, dazed, dazed and uh, and dizzy basically, uh, did not look good and it was clear he was going to go off. Um, look and and I, I can understand the argument that you know that a, a ten minute suspension is probably enough. Uh, sorry, ten minute simbin is probably enough, um, but. You know, I've seen situations like that lead to actual send-offs because he didn't need to put his elbow up. He could have just put his hand up and shrugged him out of the way. Really, even though it was a dead ball situation, I thought Crichton, you know, there's a difference between bracing yourself and bracing yourself with your elbow forward, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's also the fine line that we've talked about, Swaligi playing uh, or, or, you know, he's mm. – he's, he's, skirting that fine line between you know having a good run up versus putting his knees up and that's a no-no so you have to also be careful about that so this is one of those situations where i think it was an incident uh, you know um unfortunate that uh, that it happened unfortunate even more so for samoa that because chanel was actually doing quite well at at dummy half uh uh, and and I wonder whether that kind of um, you know that prevented them from uh, building that momentum that that looked like they were building. Um, but but yeah, and and look, soon after that, Cameron Murray scores a try, and it feels like it's all over after that. Um, despite the fact that they that Samoa then got uh, Brian Toll try uh, later as well. Um, the Controversy continued, though, because Matt Parrish, the Samoa coach, after the game sort of mentioned the fact that it was a, it was a weak decision by the referee to not to not send him off completely, So, uh, which, which others have sort of said, uh, that's ridiculous. So, you know, whichever way you look <laughs> at it, um, you know, you can't win. But I, I kind of tend to side with Matt Parrish. I thought as, as much as it was an accident, it was a very clearly an elbow to the head. And yeah. so you can't you – can't, and it wasn't – like he accidentally did it. He did it as part of bracing himself. Didn't need to do it. Absolutely didn't need to do it. So, look, yeah. um, not the reason why Samoa lost, but one of those unfortunate situations where it kind of, uh, you know, it, it was a turning point in the game, without doubt. Um, yeah. And so, but, yeah, look, despite all that, 
um, you know, when, like I said, when you, I was mentioning the stats before, when you look at the stats, Australia did dominate in possession and by dominate, I don't mean completely dominate, but there were, you know, a fair margin ahead in, in possession, uh, run meters, things like that. There are a couple of key points though, when you look at the game and the breakdown, you can see where the Aussies really dominated kick return meters was probably one of those 240 meters to 69 and i think mm. that is such a massive difference it makes you think you know it's there's something about the way that in my mind that says more about the australia uh the 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 quality of the kicks but also their kick chase um i think that's what what uh is the reason why they were able to limit Samoa to only 69 metres for a kick return for the whole game. Um, so I think more than Australia being far ahead, it's more that their excellent kick chase is what led to a reduction in Samoa's natural ability to kind of, you know, total uh, and players like that usually can make some metres and certainly they made lots of metres against England in the semi-final, but... Uh, not the case here. So kangaroos are to be commended for that because I think that's one of the key reasons. Average played the ball speed. They were 3.28 seconds versus 3.62 for Samoa. So again, uh, just faster overall. And I think that's a fitness issue. Um, you know, uh, what what other stats I can look at? I think that's the main one. And, and I, I guess all well, those are the main ones. And I think... Um, you know, if you look at like missed tackles, Samoa had 45, but Australia still had 34. <laughs> so it wasn't mm. like as if they were completely, uh, you know, defensively so- completely solid. So I think it's a yeah. case where, yeah, Samoa allowed the Kangaroos to play a limited game, um, but so did the Kangaroos allowed Samoa to play a limited game. You didn't see the best from any player really. Um, except for players like Tedesco, who just kept going like the Energizer Bunny, uh, and that's that's kind of what he's known as at the moment. So well done, like a good captain's knock. And I've got to say one quick observation: there's a lot of stuff around Luai having failed in this game, which I agree with your comment earlier. I think um, I think he relied a bit on Milford and had to cover a lot for Milford's defensive errors and also lack of confidence in attack. So Luai actually, I thought, played quite well considering that situation. And finally, I thought Steve Crichton, um, future captain of Samoa. I mean, if there's something about the way he drives that team. I saw Mm. a little little bit, and I'll I'll hand over to you. Sorry, I've I've ranted a bit, but you you see these little things. When they were leaving for halftime, you could tell they were kind of down and walking. You know, yes. at a very slow pace. And I saw Crichton from behind yeah. like, clap, clapping and yelling at people's ears, come on, boys, run, you know, like as if, uh, you know, make it look like we're, we're energetic. Don't show them any weakness. And mm. I thought that is a future captain right there, the way yeah. that he brought them together, not to mention how clutch he was in the game against England. But, yeah, Stephen Crichton really has impressed me in this World Cup tournament. Um it still is a bit of an annoying Penrith Panthers player <laughs> who seems a bit <laughs> arrogant, but he's not. I, I I will put him in the same camp as Lua. I think he's a little bit 
they're allowed to be a little bit young and arrogant. I think people just get overboard with this uh, idea that they're, they're grubs and all this stuff. I don't think that that's the case at all. I think both of them are the future of definitely the future of Samoa, the future of New South Wales, uh, which is another issue we're going to talk about later, eligibility and things like that. But, yeah, well done, uh, Samoa. They, they, they fought hard. There's a lot of positives for their future. Uh, Tish, I've ranted a lot, so I will let you have the last word on the Men's Rugby League World Cup final. Well, I think I, uh, I caught and thought the same thing you did when it came to what you said about that halftime. And I think Stephen Crichton, look... Um, Captain, look, he's definitely a leader in in the in, in the game. And I think him and I think Brian Torhall is probably the other one, right? Um, that they they tend to inspire the rest of the team. I think Samoa kind of needs a little bit of that as well, right? I think they kind of need that energy and need that sort of um, you know need that sort of confidence, as you said, like you know Milford being down on confidence. Look, he's a great player. He comes up with some great things, but then you know he was a bit nullified, you know. Uh, sort of for most of the second half in that dummy half role, which then meant that, you know, Lawai is kind of no longer the roving guy that needs to find, you know, the gaps or whatever, you know, and then so it just kind of, it just kind of made things up. So they probably, you know, and look, they've had a bit of an injury uh, issue around the dummy half. I know, I think it was like, um, I think they've had four different dummy halves in the last four games, right? Um, just because of different, um different injury situations that they're dealing with, right? So from that point of view, you know, it's kind of, um, you know, they just, yeah, I suppose, look, they're a team that is just full of plays in the NRL, um, a lot of the top plays in the NRL too, a lot of state of origin players, um, but they probably still don't have enough depth or they need to make sure, well, you know, during a, a tournament like this over six or seven games, you know, injuries really hurt. Uh, a team like Samoa, and you can probably throw Tonga into that category too, right? Which is why they sort of get to the end and, you know, just having a, a couple of players down here or there, it, it does it does affect the way they play. So, but look, I've got to say, look, well done, Australia. They are the world champions, deservedly so. Um, was it a walk in the park? A little bit, but I, I think they were tested uh, against Samoa. They were tested against... Um, New Zealand as well, and there were periods in other games where where I felt that you know um, you know they they were you know questioned as well. So, uh, but but look, you know, at the end of the day, they they showed why Australia has been so dominant for so long in in rugby league, and why I suppose you know the the system that we have of development players, you know, in the NRL and so forth at the moment is the strongest, um, and and that's why they have this continued. Success. Success and um, but I think the next World Cup is going to be very interesting and very pivotal about how things will change. Absolutely. And speaking of which, let's reflect back on the World Cup and uh, and discuss whether it was a success or not. Here we go. Tackle number four. So tackle number four, we're going to discuss this Rugby League World Cup 2021. The key question being, was it a success? So we'll, we'll see what ground we can cover. And then at the end, I'm just going to get a 
let's see if we can come to an agreement or a yes, no, was it a success? Look, on the positive side, we, we did talk about this a few episodes ago where we, uh, we've heard that, you know, definitely in terms of television viewership, it was a success. I think it's already been the most watched uh, Rugby League World Cup in history uh, when, uh, you know, even prior to the, the, the finals, I think there was already uh, talk of it being, you know, lots more eyeballs and, and than ever before. So that from that perspective, from that dimension, I think uh, very clearly the stats sort of tell us that, yes, that is the case. But then when you look at things like, you know, uh, how do you, I guess, how do we measure success? It's about, yes, TV viewership um, financially. I don't know whether financially uh, it's uh, it probably is going to be considered a success and the most profitable uh, Rugby League World Cup so far. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the television viewership and the, the TV rights uh, contracts that they, they were and the deals that they managed to sort of resolve beforehand. Um, and so, you know, that means that financially they, they would be ahead of the game instead of, uh, you know, re- relying on ticketed sales, uh, which is one of the downsides, I think, that, that despite the fact that there was, you know, some good crowds there at the end of the day, there were some pretty disappointing crowds uh, in some of the games. Which, when you think about it, I mean, look, I hate to compare us to rugby union, but you can't help it sometimes. Uh, you know, when I, I, I do, I very much am envious of uh, of some of the the numbers that rugby union uh, pulls up in terms of, you know, crowds at certain games, which aren't even considered top tier games with top tier teams. Uh, somehow. You know, when you see a uh, well, in the past Georgia was a minnow and uh, and still is, I guess. But uh, I think nowadays they're kind of beating some of the second or third tier teams. Uh, you know, Georgia versus Japan, you would normally think, oh well, that game's going to be you know a couple thousand people, not even. But then you know that, that that some of those games in the past World Cups that they've had have been quite uh, well attended. And they sort of, you know, definitely as, as someone who's as passionate as rugby, of, in the international game of rugby league as I am, it is a bit disappointing to think, you know, like we, we have, you know, a lot going for some of these games, you know, star NRL players, even if it's just one or two, uh, whether it's some of the Lebanon games with, you know, uh, Mitchell Moses and a few others. You know, at the very least, those players should be a bit of a draw card for um for fans but they they weren't and so i think that's what one of the downsides from what i've seen is uh that the crowds probably weren't where we wanted them to be um and i think it didn't matter in terms of uh the uh, the the way the game the the tournament administrators and and organizers probably factored in the fact that if they didn't get 100 percent ticket sales or full stadiums that they would still, uh, you know, break even or make a handy profit anyway because of all the TV deals and and, and all that. So, um, yeah, look, overall, I would I would sort of think there's there's some of the positives there, some of the negatives as well. Um, I think the on the field was you could also consider that, especially in the group games, that it probably wasn't uh, that successful. We did get a lot closer games as we got to the finals. Um, and I think that more than made up for the blowouts earlier on in the group games. But I think it was uh, 
let's shall we say quite predictable uh, in terms of that. So let me just go through you know, issue by issue and, and get your views on it. And let's see if we can find other issues as well. But again, the core question is, was this World Cup a success? You know, TV viewing, uh, Tish, do you have an opposing view or an alternative view on my view about, you know, the, the fact that it's already been classified as the most successful TV view in terms of TV viewership? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, is that TV viewership in Australia or TV viewership in England? I think it was worldwide, and worldwide. But yeah, I think they were okay. potentially they were the the stat we saw was focusing on England, but I think it was kind of a collective worldwide stat. Okay, from my experience, uh, it was a fail, <laughs> right? Um, because in Australia, it was, it was behind a paywall, right? Um, and I think a World Cup needs to have at least one or two games, um, you know, per round that need to be broadcast on free to wear television uh, in a major rugby league market like Australia. <laughs> right, yeah. probably the yeah. major rugby league market. So I think I think there is a, they've missed a trick with it, with a little bit of that. Um, and look, I mean, uh, definitely probably in the South Pacific, I'd say that there was uh, lots of viewership there. But I wonder how the viewership was in countries like Jamaica and Lebanon and some of these nations. And and to be honest, did you, did you really want them tuning into rugby league based on you know how horrible their teams performed? Right. Um, like the mismatch that their that their nations had to endure, so mm. um, yeah, so you know, I, I probably wouldn't want uh, a Greek resident watching the Greek team get sma- slaughtered, right? Mm. It's 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 not nice, right? So um, so that's what I think. I, I think I think in terms of the viewership, I mean, yes, a global audience we would be great, but I, but I just don't think they've used the tournament to actually you know, uh, to increase the viewership to the point where you've got more rugby league fans. Right. Okay. So they're not, they, it wasn't strategic or, or yep. opportunistic and capitalizing on the success of the on-field game. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Like all these people that watched it, I'm assuming are all rugby league fans that they were already rugby league fans that watched it. Right. I don't think outside the rugby league community there were too many people that actually watched it, as far as I know. Okay. Well, I guess I, let's park that thought because in the next tackle we're going to talk about, you know, opportunities for growth. So that, let's park that because I think that's a good point there. But, okay, the other issue that I mentioned was around uh, uh, the, um, the, the, well, ticketed sales, like people who actually went to the ground. So what are your views on that? Well, I think that was a fail, right? There was lots of empty <laughs> grounds everywhere. You're a harsh marker, aren't you? Yeah, no, I agree with you, actually. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I completely yeah, I, agree. I, I do. Um, where, where I think uh, – so, yeah, I've got an idea about how you could change that in the next World Cup. So I'll, I'll oh, okay, let's talk about that next. But, yeah, let's just focus on was this a successful one. We can talk about ways to improve in the future. But, okay, fair enough. So two fails for you so far. The other one I think I mentioned was on the field. So – the blowouts, and I guess, uh, look, solutions-wise, we can talk about that as well. Definitely the structure of the World Cup had a lot to do with it. Yeah. We went, we went to, a, um, you know, four groups and four uh, – is that what we did? Four groups or eight groups? How many groups did we have? Four groups. Four groups and four each teams, uh, you know, drawn from uh, – <laughs> there was a draw – you know, it was like a Powerball kind of thing with Harry, Prince Harry, former Prince Harry. 
uh, you know, that kind of thing. And, and then, the, you know, tier one teams go into all the different pots and then tier two teams. And then, you know, surprise, surprise, we end up with the exact same uh, uh, kind of quarterfinals and semifinal structure as last time, which kind of defeats the purpose of, uh, yeah. of that. You know, I wanted to see different teams play each other in the semifinal, not the same ones all the time. And and so, uh, or, or at least the the same, being on the same side of the draw. Um, but, yeah, so in terms of on-field uh blowouts and things like that uh again what do you think in terms of uh how close the games were and and how important that is for the success of the tournament what are your views well look um dr t we do not see australia versus england right we do not see england versus new zealand <laughs> right um we did not see tonga versus australia did we see Tonga versus England? I don't think we did, right? We only saw Tonga versus uh, Samoa, actually. Yeah, that's um, right. Twice. So see, yeah. So we didn't even see Tonga versus New Zealand, right? Um, yeah, Tonga versus New Zealand, Tonga versus England, Tonga versus Australia. You didn't see that. No. Um, and they've they've been a team on the rise, right? Um, you've seen England versus Samoa twice, England versus uh, Samoa versus Australia, but you didn't see Samoa versus New Zealand, right? Um, you didn't see Fiji versus Tonga, right? So there is a ton of games that we didn't get to see, uh, but what we did see is Jamaica versus England. <laughs> like you know, yeah. so that's I think uh, the real miss on on the field where um, there is enough good teams to have some really competitive matches, um, you know. But there was just a lack of that because for some reason we felt that we are, you know, soccer or <laughs> we're rugby, right? But we're not. We're, we're, we're rugby league. We're a brutal sport. We're a sport that, you know, you, you, you need at least five days of recovery between uh, teams, particularly when you're doing a six-man tournament and you've only got limited number of players you can choose from, right? So <laughs> I think... The way they sort of structured it, I think it really, yeah, there was a, there was a missed opportunities, and then that probably what led to sort of the crowds also not being there. Yeah, I agree, and I think look, all these things are connected, and it sounds like mm. from a lot of these dimensions, you are thinking that this was not a successful World Cup. Yeah, no, look, I think it was. Um, look, I think I think you've got okay. I wouldn't call it a fail, but I want to call it a success. Um, because uh, as I, I did read a report um, that uh, financially they probably made a loss, right? Oh, did so, they? After all, yeah, that. yeah. Apparently they did because they didn't get enough crowds that that they were. So um, it might not be a huge loss, but it'd be a small loss. But the problem is um, the international rugby league hasn't returned a profit for a couple of um, times, uh, like a couple of years now, right? So, <laughs> so it so, wasn't yeah. as bad as a loss as they've had in the past. Yeah, yeah, that type of scenario. So, I think, yeah, and I think the way they've they've done it is is probably is probably the reason. Um, so we really need to to really think about how we sort of run this tournament. So I think, yeah, financially not a huge success, and on the field, I think they missed out an opportunity. Now, look, I think uh, culprits Australia, lesser extent New Zealand. The fact that we're playing this tournament this year 
in the middle of a cricket World Cup and a World Football World Cup that just started this weekend. Like it's in the middle of the worst time. Um, you know, it's it, it's part of a, a time in Australia where the viewer interest on rugby league is is depleted. Um, you know, the you know they would, they'd have one story about the World Cup and then five stories about the new coaching regime regime at Manly, right? Um, you know, or you know this player swap and that player swap or this off-field incident, whatever. You know, so the World Cup wasn't even the biggest story in rugby league all the time, right? And I think that's probably where they've just got to try and... Um, yeah, I think they need to do better at the way they do this so that so that it actually becomes... It actually progresses the game. I felt like it didn't really progress the game, but it, I don't think it detracted from the game either. We got it there. We got it done. Um, I think it's time to move on. <laughs> yeah, so overall, what would you give a report card... A B, Ooh. a C, definitely not okay. an A. Ooh. Well, if I give it a C, it means that it failed. It it it, it might it might mildly succeeded. So I think I'm gonna have to give it a D because I think it mildly failed. Can I say that? But sorry, B or a D? D D for dog. Oh wow! I, I would have thought. Oh, look, I would be a bit higher. Uh, I feel like this is like a Margaret and David doing their film reviews. Oh, David, <laughs> I think uh, I think you've been too harsh. Uh, no, look, I reckon be. B. I reckon B minus. I think there were some positives out of the game for sure, especially towards the end, and the success of you know. Look, I don't think anyone expected a South Pacific Island nation realistically to get to the final this soon after that uh, Tamalolo revolution uh, in 2017. But I think the fact that Samoa got there was a huge win for the international game. Is it, uh, you know, and definitely for the tournament itself, I think it added a lot of flavour to the tournament and, and look, showed that anything's possible. So I think, you know, if I could decouple that from the tournament itself, I think uh, there was a lot that should be said about, uh, the way it could improve. I think when you combine the fact that there was a women's and wheelchair game, I think you add those elements. And I think uh, I bring it up a little bit from a D to a, possibly a B minus. I think there's a lot more that can be done. Uh, I'm happy with maybe a C plus or, or C plus plus for those of you coders out there. Uh, mm. But yeah, I think, uh, I think uh, there were plenty of good stories about, it. but look, this obviously means that there is a lot that can be done, and that's why I wanted to spend some time talking about it. So where to from here in the in terms of the international game? Tackle number five. Here we go. All right. Oh, sorry. Where, yep. where to from here for the international game? Uh, you know, we've given our views about what went wrong in the World Cup, what needs to be capitalised on. Every man and his dog on social media had an opinion about why there were blowouts, what what the what rugby league should be doing better, how it should structure the structure these tournaments, uh, the failings, etc. And and despite the fact that we had some pretty positive elements to come out of like the success of Samoa, the continued success of Tonga, etc. Uh, it really, it really now, the fact that Samoa got to the final and put on a pretty good showing, like they didn't get flogged 50-0. They got, you know, they were with, the, they were certainly, 
you know, a class below, but not too many classes below um, Australia uh, in terms of the dominant force in the game at the moment. Um, when you put all that together, then I guess what, what I want to put to you, Tish, is uh, there's a lot of positives that we could build on. And I guess the question is, let's try and work out what are those things, what are those elements that we really need to do to progress the international game? Um, one of the things I want to mention, and I'll put it to you as an observation to hopefully launch a bit of a discussion. Um, one of the things that I've been seeing post the World Cup final has been, uh, you know, uh, comments from, say, uh, the Australian Kangaroos coach, Mal Meninga, uh, which in my mind, uh, about ideas about wh where they think that we need to go to next. These are all ideas <laughs> that I have to say we have heard before. And, you know, there's evidence of it. You could look at all of our previous years of uh, doing these podcasts. Uh, we have talked about these ideas endlessly. Um, these are not new ideas, guys. This is not like you're Einstein and you've, you've just found out how how to reconfigure the, you know, Newton's law of gravity or whatever. This is not rocket science. This is obvious stuff that we have talked about endlessly. You know, things like Mal Meninga uh, suggests that we need to have an international rugby league window and a schedule. Um, hello, we have heard this before, and not just from... Uh, the fans like us, we've heard this from the administrators. You know, they said they were going to do that. What happened? We can't blame COVID. Uh, this, for some reason, this is what rugby league does. We we have good ideas. We mm. just at the moment when we get the administrators to actually put a plan together, they something else happens and they completely rip it up. And then you you're left feeling, well, after all that. We've hardly had any games uh, of the top tier nations against each other. Um, the the game, let me be very clear. In my view, despite the fact that we've seen Samoa and, and Tonga, you know, cause a bit of a revolution, um, the international game is uh, well. I wouldn't say it's dying, but I don't think it's off the mat just yet. I think it needs a bit of a revival. And uh, I think this is the opportunity. It's now or never, as Elvis used to say, Tish. Mm. But Tish, what are, you, what are your views? Is it now or ne never? And uh, what are some of the things that we should capitalise on? And let's dive into it. Okay, absolutely. Well, look, I think the first thing is the International Rugby League Federation, whatever they're called, I think it's a bit of a toothless tiger, unfortunately, right? They don't really have the money and they are beholden to the NRL, and the English Super League, um, they have to sort of fit their tournament in between them, right? So I think a bit of work needs to be done so that the RL can actually have a bit more power <laughs> in the game enough for that thing. So I think that's an admin level issue that needs to be addressed, right? Um, and then it needs a huge cash injection, right? So what I what I think, and just thinking about how other sports have been able to do this, right? Because you've got to make it's got to be financially viable, right? Viewership, sponsorship, and everything. And I think that they've got to go 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 big, right? What I think they need to do is they need to they need to create a bidding system of who's going to host the World Cup, and they need to sell it to a questionable dictatorship government, right? To host the the sport. Right, <laughs> I see where you're going with this. 
like something like I mean, like it, I, okay, everybody says that Qatar, like you know, this I, obviously happened in the World Cup, right? But it, this kind of happened um, through like you know. Penaget's era in in like uh, Argentina, where was he? Did Spain? No, Chile. Sorry, in like you know they did a they did like a, a you know but, you know FIFA had always supported like these underground nations that had like questionable <laughs> questionable ethics, um, but they were just wanting to put on a good tournament on the world stage to make their governments look good, right? So I think I think. I mean, I know it sounds like a very corrupt way, or whatever, but it actually grew the game quite a lot because they were able to use that money to then actually grow the game in those countries, right? So I think I think we need to do something like that, right? Where we need to go and take it to, you know, um, I was looking at it. I think Bahrain is is probably where I would go um, because I don't think. Well, I mean, what's going to happen to these stadiums in Qatar? Perhaps that would do, but I think it's it's a bit of a like, you know. Hey, we just had the World Cup, so now we're going to have the World Cup rugby league in in Qatar. It's probably not going to get that much interest, right? Um, but I think we need something like that, right? Some Middle Eastern oil investment, right? And a global sporting brand like an Adidas or a Nike or a thing, right? I mean, Kazoo, which was like the major sponsor. Uh, I know it's a it's a car selling service or something like that, but it's not even available in Australia, right? So um, I don't even know if it's they've even got a US arm. So I think that's so I think I think they just got to fix up. So that's the money money side of it. Um, what I think they should do is look Dwayne Dwayne the Rock Johnson uh, sent his support to the Samoan team. Actually said that they could stay over at his mum's house or something like that. You know if they can't find accommodation, and you know we actually had. Different cities in America um, that, you know, where Samoan uh, diaspora were actually like, you know, posting their support, you know, and you had the world's biggest civil tower happening in up here as well. So Oklahoma, Kansas City, Los Angeles, El Paso, Salt Lake City, um, you had sort of, you know, colli- collegiate athletes in different sort of NFL. And I think you even had an NFL team. So, you know, the the Samoan team, I think, needs to have a couple of games in the US, right? Um, to build the sport in the US. I think I think it's a bit of a secret. If they could play like a, a test series with Australia or New Zealand or something like that, um, in US soil, even even uh have the US team also sort of present there and playing a, a game on the undercard or something like that, I think that could actually kickstart some opportunities in America. So I would do that. I think the Australian kangaroos should have a world tour, right? And go to all these nations that have fledgling rugby league teams like Lebanon, Greece, all these teams that didn't perform well. You know what? Send the kangaroos over on a world tour. They don't need to play full uh, full games. They could do like they did with Papua New Guinea and, and Fiji where they played you know, one team, one half, and another team, the other half, right? And the other two teams sort of played each other type thing. But, you know, build the game up using the world champions, right? The world champions travel the world and actually play. I think this is your obligation as the world champions, right? That in this four-year period, you go out and you have test matches with all the nations around the world. You know, that's your, you know, that's yeah, like kind when, of... When Miss, when Miss Universe wins the crown, she has obligations to go around and promote Exactly, this universe and, brand. Absolutely, agree. Yeah, yeah, brand ambassador, right? As yeah. far as the stru- as far as the structure, um, I think the World Cup should be hosted as a series of magic rounds, right? 
Um, so one stadium gets all eight games or, you know, like we do with Suncorp and everything like that, so that you have like, you know, a festival carnival atmosphere in different locations of the same country every uh, every, every week. And I think that's going to help because you're going to have every week, you're going to have Samoan, Fijian. Uh, you, you're going to fill the stadiums basically because all the different supporters of all the different teams, when you're playing three games on a Saturday, three oh, games yeah. on a Sunday yeah. and two games are all going to collide in different places. And, you know, um, if you go on the tour, like of the world cup, you're going to, you're probably going to want to watch every single, single sort of magic round. Right. So I think that's, a, do- that's a top idea. So what you're saying is, uh, however you structure it, that the first game, say for instance, it's in Australia, it might be, you know, all the games in round one are in Melbourne. So you have, yep. uh, and then and then the next one is in Adelaide, and then the next one is in Sydney, and then it finishes off in Brisbane or something. Yeah, is that what you're saying? That's actually that a really cool. great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the reason why I say that is because Magic Round has worked in. Super League, and it's also worked in Australia, right? So it, it, it's proven. It's a proven concept for our game uh, in in our two biggest markets. So you know, why wouldn't it work in France? Do you know what I mean? Marseille one week, Paris the next week, Toulouse the other week. Rome is Rome part of France? So anyway, you know, no, did, no, it's not. Oh my <laughs> okay, god, okay, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, oh, all, no, I get your point, though. Bordeaux, yeah, 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 yeah Bordeaux, but but that's the idea, right? You know, like you know, and um, you know, uh, so so I think I think they could do that. And as far as the tournament goes, I, what, what I do think is that they need to have a super. So I think it needs to be three stages. Stage one, you just have the, you just have the minnow teams play each other for each chance to get onto stage two. Stage two, you have the top six teams in the world, um, broken up into two different, um sort of uh pools and then you know the winner of you know um you know minnow team minnow group a and minnow group b joins it so you make it a top eight type thing and all of those games play each other that way you get like say if in in one group you've got new zealand tonga and fiji and then you add like you know lebanon to it then you've actually got a lot of good games on that tournament uh, on that on that side and the other side could be australia New Zealand, England, and Papua New Guinea, for example, right? And then so you've got two really good, um, you know, you've got a few weeks, well, three weeks of, you know, a lot of combinations of games that are going to be fairly uh, close. And, um, you know, because they're being played in the same stadium with everybody there, I think it's just going to, yeah, I think that would actually build some excitement to the game. Um, So... That's kind of everything that I thought of at the moment, Doctor T. I, I hope I hope I haven't gone overload with some of these ideas. Um, but yeah, any no, ideas from your end? Oh, look, I got to say, Tish, that you're getting you're just like fine wine. You are maturing during this year. Your <laughs> okay. ideas are getting more and more palatable. Uh, you know, <laughs> okay. very no, no. I got to say, really good ideas. I love the idea of the magic round because uh, it, it what it allows you to do. It's to actually, it, it's to actually make it more of a fan uh, focused yeah. mm. thing. Where you're right, like think about, oh, travel agents would have a field day with this. Like you could do a tour and go, hey, you want to see the world tour, the World Cup in Australia or whatever, 
um, here, it's easy. You know, round one is here. You can see all these great games here. We can hook you up with a couple of games on a, on a single weekend so you could actually catch as much action as possible mm. instead of jumping of your favorite teams, of all the teams, instead of jumping around, oh, I have to go to, I'm in Munich one day, I have to go to Berlin the next day. I can't do this, you know, like it's not going to work. And so I like the idea of the magic round kind of set up as a traveling kind of, uh, you know, magic round. That's a brilliant idea. And I think that's uh, something that definitely should be considered. The structure as well, I think one of the – look, let me let me just sort of backtrack a bit. I think in many ways the solution – Needs we need in terms of solutions to some of these problems, we need to go back to the future or back to the past, um, <laughs> because yeah. because some of these ideas that have come about have been very much people reminiscing or or wanting to you know go back to ideas and and uh, ways of life that were working for us before. Uh, and by before, I mean not before Christ. I mean before Super League, <laughs> because because at that time. That was, to me, still the turning point that the the damage that that did to the game, uh, you know, still we're feeling it decades later. And mm. I think um, if you look at what was happening before then uh, and, and how things were progressing, we had a dominant kangaroos side uh, that was so dominant that it was uh, completely smashing... Uh, all the English teams and all Great Britain, as, as it was known then, um, in the 80s. Uh, and then the 90s hit. And, uh, like, in my mind, like, despite the fact that there was uh, you definitely the Aussies were dominant, the other teams, New Zealand and England or, or Great Britain then, um, definitely, you know, there there was – it was close. It was still – and, you know, like, decades later, we might think, well – the revolution that Super League caused and, and there was a need to do some things in the international game. Well, until 2017, what have we got out of it? We've still only had three winners. In fact, in in the whole history of the Rugby League World Cup tournament, we have only ever had three winners. Um, England won at once, or Great Britain won at once, I think. Uh, New Zealand won at once. And Australia has won it 12 times. <laughs> so... The issue is Australia still dominates and and how do we sort of overcome that? And again, back to the past, what was working for us in the past, what was successful in the past was very – like I'll never forget those, uh, you know, those uh, kangaroo tours uh, of Great Britain. Uh, you know, it was really something to look forward to. It was you were such. Uh, it was. It would have been such a privilege to be one of the twenty-eight players or whatever the, in the squad that was chosen. Um, you know that you remember. I think it was a was it the nineteen ninety kangaroo tour where we had uh, the the famous kind of Ricky Stewart uh, to Mel Meninga last minute try to to kind of win the Ashes and all that kind of stuff. So you had all these things that we used to do. We're not doing them anymore for whatever reason, but they were really successful. If you look at those games, they were packed stadiums. It wasn't mm. just, you know, 5,000 at, uh, you know, 1,000 points bet stadium in some random place in England. It was actually like the biggest stadiums, 
they were packing them out for these big games. And um, so the argument for, and this is tied into the the fact that at that time they were thinking, well, Australia's too dominant, we've got to do something. So then they went to the summer game over there. If you remember, the Super League was born over there, the UK Super League still is in existence. That's what we still call it. Um, the vision was for a Super League, you know, England or UK and Super League Australia. Not the case here. It became the NRL. But over there, the Super League still persists. It's still a summer game. And I think a lot of people are questioning, should it go back to a winter game so that it allows for an actual window of opportunity for um, for things like kangaroo tours and things like that? Um, you know, the, the, there's, there's things that we could, well, you know, there's, there's opportunities there to rethink based on the successes of the past, let me put it that way. Um, and, and, yeah, in terms of the structure of any World Cup tournament, we really need to think carefully about trying to do the uh, – uh, trying to over-engineer and over-structure it yeah. uh, to make it look like it's – every team in it should be in with an equal chance and mathematically it's like this um, – I think what's clear is that that doesn't always work. Definitely, there were so many blowouts in the preliminary group stage games that, to me, it makes me question whether we should go back to that kind of unique setup like we've set up in the past where we have a structure of the tournament where you've got maybe one or two super groups with uh, the best teams bunched together and then you've got another group where the the equally ranked kind of lower level teams fight for a single spot in the quarterfinals, something like that. Um, you know, so that way at the end of the day, you will get a lot of games, a lot of closer games. You will get some of the big guns playing each other. So at the very least, you get a good sense in the tournament itself. Uh, the best, the boys and the men will sort themselves out. You know, the better teams... Mm. And the lesser teams will sort themselves out. And that's kind of what uh, a group stage is supposed to be when things are all a bit more even. But we don't have that level of competitiveness spread across the the, the teams in rugby league. So we do have to think a bit differently. So I think yeah. maybe we do – I agree with you. I think we do need to go back to a different setup where you've got some of the big teams playing each other. But, but each of the matches still count and they're still important because yeah. maybe what happens is, um, you know, if you if you don't top your group or come second, you will have some sort of a disadvantage maybe in, in the quarterfinals. I don't know what that will be. Maybe the disadvantage is you will be playing the top team in the other super group <laughs> immediately. Yeah. You know, maybe that's a disadvantage. So that will, that will avoid... Uh, teams throwing games and that kind of thing. Um, well, but look, well, look yeah, some what, great what ideas. will happen? Yeah, I think um, I think what you said is true, and I think I think don't underestimate two minnow teams playing each other uh, regularly, right? Because the Samoa Tonga World Cup uh, games, yeah, I know there's quite a lot of players, but you know what sort of happens is like Jerome Luai, he he made his debut for Samoa before he made his debut in the NRL, right? So when that happened. Um, you know, some of these NRL players that are playing for Samoa would have gone back to their clubs and gone, man, have you seen this Jerome guy? He's he's really talented, right? Um, and you kind of want to hope these sort of things would happen, you know, like, 
you know, from these minnow teams, like some of these lesser known players get an opportunity for NRL clubs, which then in a few years time, who knows, you've got, I mean, you, you could start to see it happen with Lebanon at the moment, right? Where every time they come to a World Cup, they've got more and more of their squad is is being represented in the NRL. Um, and then so who knows in four years, they might have a team similar to a Fiji and PNG where you've got six to 10 NRL, play, uh, NRL players, right? So, um, yeah, I think I think really good ideas there as well, Doctor T. I think um, you know it's yeah, but as you said, we've talked about these ideas forever, mm. <laughs> right? Yeah, um, and and it's just it, it it all comes down to um, you know the international body does not have the ability to execute these um, and uh, without the support of the Super League and the NRL, and I think the structure of how it works at the moment, it, it, it's not going to help the international game at all until until it gets taken over somehow um you know and you know um my approach you know is the fifa approach um it's very corrupt <laughs> right there's probably some money laundering going on <laughs> let's take advantage of the corruptness and uh you know let's get on board <laughs> yeah yeah but 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 you know the the flip side to that though it, it has grown the game globally <laughs> By doing these things, by getting these, uh, by getting these guys involved, right? So <laughs> it's all about the money, is what you're saying. But look, yeah, <laughs> yeah, look, yeah. I look, yeah, I, I agree. Look, just to wrap this up, this conversation up. I think in summary, the there's there's a few elements here that that we keep talking about, and here are the main ones. I think we just need to uh, go to look. We need to be smarter about the way we manage the schedule for sure we need to think very carefully about you know what what has worked in the past and sort of not throw it away just because it was in the past so i think being a bit more smart as a game in terms of how we organize things that, that has a lot to do with it we need more games i think that's very clear so be smarter in how we structure it more games give us more um you know more is better however you sort it out whether you want two international windows during the year, one big one at the end of the year, whatever you do, we need to sort that out and get it aligned with the, the various, well, the two main professional uh, competitions. And and the other one, I guess, uh, is, uh, yeah, like give us more and what was the other one I was thinking? Oh, and, and be more, like think about the fans. Be more fan-focused. Like your idea about the magic travelling kind of uh, tournament there, or, or aspects within the tournament, I think is a brilliant idea. And I think that's that speaks to think about the fans. <laughs> what, mm. how, what is the fan experience going to be? Think about us for once because, you know, you can't keep promising. Like we had Tonga about to have a revolution and they won against the Kangaroos and then nothing happened. Admittedly, COVID happened, but we still had NRL playing. So it's yeah. not like as if it's not like as if there was a whole season of no NRL. We still played the game, but yet we did not take advantage. We did not prioritize the international game. So I think that is also an issue we need to prioritize. And then finally, I agree. Um, the practicalities of the world that we're living in, the capitalist societies that we're living in, follow the money. Find ways to inject the money. Money talks. And NRL won't uh, clubs won't make decisions unless it affects their bottom line, and mm. so I think that's the ultimate practical. You know, we were sounds like we're talking mm. head in the clouds in terms of be strategic, think about the fans, give us more games, 
but the reality is it's about money. And so we really need, yeah. do need to think about how do we inject that money? And I'm going to throw in, since it's a penultimate uh, and we're almost done with this episode, I'm going to throw in an idea. We keep talking about, I love the idea of uh, the discussions we have about how do we market the game better? Can we can we call the game something else? There's a, there's a joke online about calling it top ball, uh, you know, that kind of thing. I think... I think the R in NRL, if we if we if we want to get away from rugby because it confuses it with rugby union, I think we need to go to an individual who we saw give a very heartfelt response to Samoa making the World Cup mm. final, the Rock. I think we should call ourselves Rock League, National yeah. Rock League. Get the money in. Get the biggest uh, movie star in the world at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Get him in. Call it National Rock League. Uh, he can forget the XFL. Put all your money into this rock. Dwayne yeah. Johnson, we need you. Uh, that's my ridiculous idea of the of the day and of the year, I think. But, uh, no, look, let's yeah. use star power. What do you think? Well, absolutely. Well, the thing is, I mean, I think the rock should see two and two, right? He's got – he's trying to open his own, <laughs> you know – uh, <laughs> his own sport, basically. <laughs> Shut over to his own sport, and you've got rugby league there, and you got you've seen it's, it, Rock, and it's it's yeah. part of your heritage, bro. So it's let's, ready let's made get on board. for you, mate. Yeah, let's go, yeah. Rock. Let's do it. You can bring in Kevin Hart as well. Make a movie out of it. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, why the not? Hearts versus the Rocks. You know, oh, absolutely beautiful game. Uh, but look, let's go on to the final tackle. It's our final tips of the year. Here we go. So our final tips uh, of the year were not only for the three games that were played, but also we, prior to the beginning of, of the men, uh, the women's and the wheelchair tournaments, we predicted the winners. So I'm bringing that in as well as a, uh, you know, a, a well in advance uh, kind of prediction. Um, and look, I ended up getting two out of uh, possible five correct uh, and you got five out of five. So very clearly, Tish, at 184.5, plays 180 points for the year. You are the official winner for the tipping this year in the Rugby League Republic. Well done. Congratulations. How do you feel, mate? How good is Queensland? <laughs> How good is Queensland? No, no. Look, i got to say, look, thank you, Dr. T, um, for, yeah, look, Got to thank the fans out there. Thanks for everybody uh, helping me and my team um, sort of analyze which game is where. Um, I've got to thank my gut because I think uh, the gut feel did work this year a lot of the time. But, look, ultimately, I think I think both of us got below 50% as we always do. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah, it's not I'm a huge not, I'm not counting that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. But look, um, yeah, look, I think you actually win it most years, Dr. T. So I'm actually glad I actually got one. one oh, do over. I? I don't even know. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure you do. So, so look, I think it's been it, – look, it, um, I suppose this year I probably find, found it easier that there's a lot of games that you could predict both in the NRL and, and in, in the World Cup that is like um, – that was very predictable. But look, I would actually like to say that I'd prefer to get one out of eight but see eight games of rugby league 
with lots of upsets and lots of unpredictability, right? So that's the thing with tips is that like um, sometimes when I get out of, out of eight out of eight, I think, oh man, like you know we could have uh, all the games are boring, right? <laughs> right, you know they're one sided. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So let's just hope that actually our winning percentage gets less next year. That's that's my wish for twenty twenty three. And you know what? I'm going to call it early. That's probably going to be one of my predictions, right? So that we 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 will not get. Uh, above 150 correct votes next year. How's that, Dr. T? Well, that's a bit of a prediction. But look, well, I think what I'll do next year is I'll actually count how many, uh, like I'll do it as a total and as a percentage. Mm. I'm afraid of seeing that though. <laughs> but I think maybe that's the thing. Let's, <laughs> yeah, that's let's right. see what the actual numbers look yeah. like. Uh, a bit like, a bit like uh, stepping on the scale sometimes, right? It's a bit, it's a bit scary. <laughs> That's right. But look, um, well done. Yeah, and look, uh, look. in a year that the Eels actually made the grand final, I don't know how I lost the tips. <laughs> At the Tigers came last, right? What, what's going on? I think it's because we, we've learned our lessons from the past and I think we've second-guessed ourselves in terms of our where our heart really lies and we, we voted against that a few times. I think that's what's happened. But look... Well done, Tish, uh, and and thank you for this epic episode post Rugby League World Cup final uh, wrap up, and that means it's our penultimate one done and dusted. Next week, as I said, we're going to have the Rugby League Republic Awards, the yearly awards, the annual awards. Uh, we love doing them. We're going to go through some uh, we are, our usual categories. We might even come up with some new ones, uh, but. But look, looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Tish. As usual, it's been epic so far. Well done. And over to you to wrap things up. Well, thank you, Dr. T. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Don't forget our show next week. Please tune in. But that's all the time that we have for this episode of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.